Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 23. And this message is going to be taken over two weeks, so today is going to be part A. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, would you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So sometimes when I'm I'm preaching my way through a book of the Bible, um, I sometimes get surprised at at just how in-depth it is and how in-depth particular passages are. And this is something I've really noticed with Colossians. Um, As we've been working our way through Colossians, I'm constantly getting caught out. I I bite off more than what we can chew. And this has happened again for us today. And so I've decided that the Bible reading for today, we're going to take it over over the two weeks. So today is going to be part A of a two-part message, which means I'm going to leave you hanging at the end and um, you'll have to come back again next week. That's a fair way for you guys, unless you're going to stay. (laughs) But um, the growing kingdom and our personal growth in the kingdom are key images that we find throughout the New Testament. And so, I mean, we, we have the seed that gets planted and it grows and it's not the farmer who makes it grow. The kingdom of God is like a tiny seed that gets planted, apparently not in your bedroom, um, and and it grows into a big bush or into a tree so big that the birds of the air can nest in it. Then the parable of the sower, that's where the crop gets sown and some of the crop is really fruitful and then other parts of the crop tends to just peter out. Then there's the evangelist who plants and the teacher who waters and it's God who makes us grow. Christ is the cornerstone, and in him, the Christian church grows into a unified building, which is the household of God. Like a baby, we are to crave pure spiritual milk so that we grow up into salvation. And yet, we're not to remain as babies, and the spiritually immature never get off the milk, and they never get on to the solid meat word of God. It's a really critical thing for us as disciples of Jesus to be growing in Christ. And part of our growing in Christ is growing in righteousness and growing in godliness. But what really is that? Because some folk can get some really warped ideas about what it looks like to grow in God and and to grow 
in, in righteousness and to see what righteousness looks like when it's demonstrated. And, and there can be confusion between true righteousness and true growth in God and false portrayals of growing in God. Now, in this passage, I've broken it up into four different types of false portrayals of growing in Christ. And um, the first is religious showiness. The second one is legal showiness or, or showing that I live rightly, do the right thing, etc. The third one is what's called asceticism. The fourth one is spiritual showiness. And we're going to cover the first three of those this week. And next week, we'll cover the final one and, and pull it all together. So... One of the most common false portrayals of growing in Christ um, is having an empty and often self-constructed religious observance. Now, the, the Pharisees were masters at this, and, and that's why Jesus was so often at loggerheads with the Pharisees. They'd made, up, they'd made religious showiness into an art form, and what made it even worse was they expected that everybody else had to live up to what they expected of themselves. And so everybody else had to be showy in their religion too, as fake as what it was. And I suspect Paul was pretty worried that, that this sort of stuff was going to creep into the Colossian Gentile church because he'd seen it happen before. So let me set the scene. Christianity is the fulfilment of what Judaism was leading up to, right? So the whole law and the whole Jewish sacrificial system and the temple itself and even the furnishings of the temple were but a shadow. They're a shadow of the heavenly reality and a shadow of the fulfilment that was coming in Christ, right? So for example... The blood of, of rams and bulls and goats. That could never set people free from their sins. If the blood of animals had that ability, do you think God would have found the necessity to have his own son crucified? That the blood of the temple sacrifice was a shadow. It was looking forwards to the future once and for all sacrifice of our Lord. Even the Sabbath day, the day of rest for the people of God. Yes, it is God's plan and it is God's command for us to have one day a week off. Isn't that a, isn't that a grind? Does anyone find that a bad, bad commandment? It's actually pretty good, isn't it? To have a day a week off. And yet this itself was looking forward to the fulfilment in Christ. We read about this in Hebrews chapter 4. We're told that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. What do we rest from? We rest from our works. And so by grace, we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus has done all of the work on the cross and we rest in him. That's what the Sabbath was about. It was looking forward to when we would have a Sabbath rest in Christ. Now, when it comes to Christianity, we Gentiles, we non-Jews, um, we, we often tend to think that Christianity grew out of Judaism. And we would be wrong. Christianity didn't grow out of Judaism. Through Christ, we Gentiles are grafted into the people of God. 
Who are the people of God? Israel. In Romans, Paul talks about how we Gentiles are like a wild shoot that gets grafted into the olive tree. What does the olive tree represent? Israel, the people of God. Right? So I want you to imagine that you are a Colossian. Right? So that means you live in Colossae. And because of that, that meant that you grow up, grew up in a pagan culture. You grew up worshipping a pantheon of false gods. You had some idols at home that you used to have to keep polished and give them a rub as you went through the door. And, and whatever else you used to have to do, you'd bow down and worship them. But now you've become a Christian. You've put to death your old idol worship. And you've come to faith in Christ. And so, at one time, you used to religiously go through the motions of serving your, your gods and your idols. And to you, this was a normal part of life. But now, you're a Christian. So what do you want to do? You want to do the very best that you can to serve the one true God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is all very new to you. And so, and you don't really know what to do. And so if a Jewish Christian was to float into town, he might say to you, oh, it's great you've become a Christian. You realise that, that you're now worshipping the God of the Jews and the Jews, we're the people of God. And this is how, this is the proper way to worship God. So what you need to do is you need to do this and you need to do that. And you need to keep this law and don't do that and don't eat this and don't touch that. And make sure you keep these days holy and, and such and like. And, and that is how you can demonstrate your obedience to God. Now, can you imagine now, you can understand hopefully, why this would be very tempting for them. Because they used to know the way to worship their gods. It was all sort out, set out for them. And now, finally, somebody's given me a list. I didn't really know how to worship my God before. And so they give them a list. I don't have to try and work it out anymore. It prescribes how to live as a Christian. And so it was very tempting for them. But praise God. Thankfully, Paul warns them against this. And he says, therefore, now we're going to stop right there. That's a pretty common word in the Bible, therefore. But whenever a sentence, or especially a paragraph, or a new theme within a letter or whatever, begins with the word therefore, we need to know what it's there for, right? Why is the word therefore there? What's it telling us? What it's telling us is that something's just been said. And because of what has been said, therefore, do this. So what's just been said? Well, what did we learn last week? We learned that nothing is needed to be added to Christ. In Christ, we have everything we need because in Christ is the fullness of the deity. That means that Jesus is God. And how could we add anything to God? We don't need to look at worldly wisdom, the wisdom of the world and, and the things that the world does. None of that can add to Christ because Christ is everything we need. And when it comes to sin, he's cancelled the record of our wrongs. 
The record of our wrongs, the record of our sin has been rubbed out. It's been nailed to the cross along with its legal demands. This is what we learned about last week. Therefore, because of all of these things, therefore. Wow. Now, when we start talking about the temple observance and, and the Levitical law, that's what that was all about. These were the legal demands to try and mitigate our record of debt. But that's all been taken away. Do we have a record of debt now in Christ? Do we? I'm looking for a response. Somebody said no, thank you. There is no record of debt. It's gone completely. And because all of that has been dealt with, there's nothing that needs to be added to Jesus. So therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Right? What he's talking about here is the Jewish festivals, the Jewish customs, the Jewish religious practices. Under the Levitical laws, there were certain events that they had to observe every year. The certain festivals that they had to celebrate. There are certain foods that they could eat, certain foods that they must not eat. But now, as Christians, we don't need to keep these rules and regulations any longer. Why? Because Christ is enough. He's everything. Verse 17 says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. I love the late afternoon sun where the shadows grow long because for a short time every day, I'm tall and skinny. It's, it's so funny to, to observe a child though when they, when they discover their shadow. Can you remember a time when you've seen a child discover their shadow? Or sometimes a dog discovers their shadow and it's just strange. It's like, oh, it's following me and I can't get away from it. And, and I'm chasing it and I can't catch it. Shadows, they have no substance. And this is a really good analogy. The Levitical law along with its customs and along with its practices, were but a shadow. It wasn't so much an interim measure. You know, we sometimes think this was an interim measure that, that had everything functioning until Christ came. It wasn't an interim measure. It was a dim image of the substance. It had no substance itself. And the substance was yet to come, and the substance is now here, Christ Jesus our Lord. But even now, 2,000 years later, when it comes to growing in Christ, sometimes we still get shadow confused with substance. Now, I think I've told you this story before, but I'm going to tell you again because it's a good one. When, when I was at Bible college, we were attending a church in suburban Brisbane, and we had a pretty contemporary sort of a service, all very low-key, and there was a lady who started coming along and I was talking with her one day after church and, and she was sharing with me, you know, her walk with Jesus and she said, yeah, and I thought I'd start coming to this church because Christianity is also very new to me and so I thought this is probably all I can cope with yet but um, I'll give it a few years and once I've grown more in my faith, 
I'll be able to, she didn't use the word graduate, but that's how I understood what she was telling me. I'll be able to graduate to one of the inner city churches and one of the cathedrals, you know, and, and there I can experience Christianity more completely. And, and to me, that was just bizarre, just a, a bizarre vision of, of what the Christian faith was to her. Because um, she was thinking that to become a more mature Christian, for her to grow in a faith, she'd be able to grow up into a service where she could get the smells and the bells and, and where the minister would wear a dressing gown and a pretty scarf and maybe a funny hat and, and where they could sing songs to the big pipe organ and, and they could do service out of a book because it's all so foreign to her now, but she'd be able to get used to it. And what she was describing which she thought was going to be the pinnacle of faith for her, it carries the very real risk of being merely religious showiness. Now, mind you, it's not for all people. Some people genuinely worship God in that style of worship service. Um, but, it, but it's a very real risk of being just about religious showiness. Uh, by the way, having a carefully choreographed concert and swinging lights and smoke machines is just as risky of being about religious showiness. Secondly, closely related to religious, show, no, 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 religious showiness is legal showiness. Keeping the law, doing the right thing, and making sure that everybody knows that you're keeping the law and doing the right thing is legal showiness. Uh, when one of our children was either in preschool or grade one, I was racking my brain. I'm not sure who it was. I think it might have been Jake, but he'll correct me later if I'm wrong. Um, he discovered that the father of one of his friends at school was a smoker. And not only was he concerned that his friend's father was about to die because he'd read the ads and, and knew that smoking kills, and so not only was he afraid that his friend's father was about to die, in his mind, smoking was so wrong that when he did die, which wasn't far away, um, he'd go to hell. And simply because he was a smoker, you're laughing at that. And for me as dad, this was both at the one time beautiful because here was my little boy and his, son and his concern for the lost, and that was beautiful. Uh, but it was also served as a teachable moment. Well, look, being a smoker isn't what sends someone to hell. Um, it's having a heart not surrendered to Jesus. But it was also with sadness that I had to realise that my little boy most likely came to this conclusion because that's the sort of attitude that he'd observed within the Christian church. Where else would he come to an attitude like that? There's certain unwritten rules in the church, isn't there? Well, some churches have written rules. You know, don't do this, don't do that, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And following rules to be seen by men is all about giving an image of godliness. We're godly because we don't do any of these things and you won't see us doing any of those things. It's an image of godliness, but it could very well not be godliness at all. I applied for a job on a farm at one time and uh, the cottage that was there for our family to live in uh, was all fine. Um, and the owner of the property said to me, 
Well, look, all the wiring's there and the poles there, um, and, and the aerial's there for the TV, but you'll have to put it up, back up. He said, because the previous worker, he was in a religion that, that uh, they weren't allowed to watch the television, and they didn't have a TV. But the other people in their church used to drive by on the highway and look across and see the TV antenna up on their house, and they'd accuse them of breaking the rules. You've been watching the TV. This is serious stuff. And so, so that they wouldn't get accused by other people in the church of watching the television, they pulled their TV antenna down. He said, but it's still there. You can just pop it back up and it'll work for you. False godliness is keeping up the appearance that I'm keeping all the rules. Next, a third false image of growing in godliness is asceticism. That's not a word we use very often. Let me try and, how do I explain asceticism? Asceticism is where you avoid everything that gives you pleasure and you only do stuff that makes you uncomfortable or is tough, all right? So if I had the rule, I can never ever eat chocolate, that would be asceticism. Or if I love meat and I need to eat meat, but I guess I'll only ever boil it because it's too nice when I, when I grill it or when I fry it or barbecue it. So we'll only eat boiled meat from now on, or worse still, I'll only ever eat vegetables, right? That would be asceticism. Husbands and wives don't enjoy each other too much because that's only for the purpose of making children, right? That is asceticism. Wearing sackcloth undies is asceticism. Some of you are laughing at that. Some people actually do that. They think, I'm going to worship God by making myself uncomfortable. So they wear undies made out of sackcloth. Um, Sometimes you might hear of a religious order that has a vow of silence. That's asceticism, as is a vow of poverty. Fasting is a form of asceticism. And having a rule, never, ever, ever touch alcohol, can be a form of asceticism. Now, as Christians, we should never indulge the flesh. And at times, it is right for us to deny ourselves certain indulgences. I mean, Jesus himself said that there would be times when his disciples would fast. And as disciples of Jesus, there are times that we should fast for the purposes of prayer. But what Jesus taught us about this is that when we do fast, we don't do it for other people to see. And we just, we just do it privately. Um, there was a time when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and he said, oh, when you fast, don't, don't um, dishevel yourself and make yourself, oh, I'm so hungry. Oh, why are you saying, oh, I'm fasting, you know, right? It, it's, this isn't what it's about. We just go without food to, for the purpose of prayer, um, but we don't make a big song and dance about it, all right? So being showy about what we deny ourselves uh, is demonstrating that we have a false growth in Christ and a false growth in righteousness because it's all about, look at me, look how godly I am. I'm going without these things because I'm a good Christian. Verse 18 says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. Now, a better translation 
would actually be, let no one disqualify you delighting in asceticism. You see, if I delight in my asceticism, that means that I'm feeling my way is so much more superior than your way, and I'm really proud of the way that I go without stuff. Look at how I do it. And you, you're not a very good Christian because you're not denying yourself enough. You're, you're living life too pleasurably, right? So that's what he's talking about. But the whole point is we do not grow in Christ and we don't grow in righteousness through religious showiness. We don't grow through legal showiness. And we don't grow through asceticism by, by denying ourselves and making a big show of it. Christ is our everything. Christ is everything we need. Now, at this point is where I'm going to leave you hanging. Um, I, know, I know what's coming up, um, and it's, it's pretty important to, to hear the final part, of, uh, to pull it all together. But we're going to pause here, and we'll pull it together next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that Christ is enough. Lord, our desire is to grow in Christ and to grow in holiness and righteousness. But Lord, we don't want it to ever be anything that's false. We don't want it to ever be anything that's showy or ingenuous. Lord, we pray that you would help us as a church to never be about religious showiness or legal showiness where we make sure that people can see that we're doing really nice things. Don't ever let us be that sort of church. And Lord, help us never to seek your approval through our own self-denial. Lord, we thank you that all we need is in Christ and that on the cross he cancelled our record of wrong. And therefore, we don't have to try and earn our way into your good books because we're already there. You've already entered our name into the Lamb's book of life, and that's enough. And this has happened through Christ and him only. And so we thank you, Jesus. Amen.